You're listening to Historically Speaking from Kappa Kappa Gamma with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. I'm Kylie Smith, the Archivist and Museum Director, and I'm joined by former fraternity president and former fraternity historian, Kay Larson. Hi, Kay. Hi, Kylie. I have missed you. I've missed you too. And it's great to be with you this morning. I know. It has been a month since we've recorded, and I'm sure there are legions of loyal, historically speaking, listeners who have missed us. So listeners, please forgive us. It has been a busy time in the world of Kappa history. But we're back, and I'm excited for this episode about Rose McGill, the beloved namesake of our emergency assistance fund for Kappas. That's right. And this episode is special because it's the anniversary of Rose McGill's initiation at Beta Psi Chapter at the University of Toronto. Rose was initiated at Beta Psi on May 24, 1920. And what a fortuitous date and banner year. The fraternity would celebrate its golden jubilee for the 50th anniversary that summer. And Beta Psi was installed on May 24th, 1911. So the chapter celebrated its ninth birthday when Rose initiated. I wonder if they planned to hold initiation on the chapter birthday or not. Well, it's hard to tell. Some chapters know those dates with the help of their advisors and alumni. And some never notice when it came, comes around. Well, in the chapter, and Rose would never have known what a monumental decision they were making by initiating this young woman who would change the course of fraternity history forever. Isn't that the truth? In fact, it's the truth for all of us. We never know if one decision or another is going to cause that ripple effect that goes so far beyond each of us as individuals. That's our life lesson, isn't it? Treat each moment as though it might be the one that changes history. (laughs) There's no pressure there. (laughs) Oh, none at all. Why don't you get us started with the timeline you put together most recently? I'm happy to. This timeline has gotten longer in the last few years, especially as more documents have been made available in both the U.S. and Canada on websites like Ancestry.com. We used to really only know the dates that Rose initiated and the date that they began the Rose McGill Fund, and then the date that she passed away. Kappas the world over know the name Rose McGill, but having a better picture of the woman behind the name and the name behind the fund can help remind us why we feel so strongly about the fund in the first place. First of all, Rose McGill was born on Halloween in York County, Ontario, Canada, just outside of Toronto. Interestingly, the birth record lists her as Rosa Eleanor McGill. It's not her birth certificate, but the register that recorded the details of her birth. So we're not sure if that's just hard to read handwriting or a misprint. For the year of her birth, I've seen both 1898 and 1899, but we went with 1899 since that's what was on three out of four official documents that we could find. This timeline is especially interesting to me because all of our earlier pieces written about Rose simply said she was born in November, was an orphan, and only had her Kappa sisters for support. 
we never even had her birth date in the membership database at CAFA headquarters. I'm glad we can get some of the actual facts updated. You know, and even with the new records that we found online, it's still hard to piece together her early life. But comparing census data against other records, it appears that she was the youngest of four children. Norman was nine years older, James was six years older, and Madeline was three years older. Her mother, Elizabeth Stewart McGill, died when Rose was around 13, and her father, Archibald McGill, died two years later. An early biography of Rose notes that when her parents passed away, Rose was sent to boarding school, and during her last year there, her brother, the only remaining family member she could depend on, died suddenly. I think it must have been James because the oldest, Norman, was likely married in 1914 from all of the records that I could find. The biography doesn't say what happened to the other brother and sister, but I did track down her sister, Madeline McGill Colson, who was three years older, and she's the person listed on Rose's death certificate as sister. So who knows? It could be that Madeline was busy with her own family and while in touch with her younger sister, Rose, maybe she never crossed paths with Rose's Kappa family. And we know how legends get started. It could have been as simple as a statement in passing about why Rose wasn't in touch with her siblings. It had to have been difficult to keep the family together after the death of both of their parents. What a sad turn of events in Rose's home life. I'm glad that Kappa could be the family she needed, especially when she got sick. Surely we're getting to the happy part soon, aren't we? We are. So in the fall of 1919, Rose is enrolled at the University of Toronto and joins Kappa Kappa Gamma at the Beta Psi chapter. She's probably 19 when she pledges in the fall and then 20 when she's initiated in May. Remember, the chapter is only eight years old at this point, and fraternities and sororities aren't that common in the Canadian university system. So I highly doubt Rose went to school with grand plans of joining a sorority. More likely, she became acquainted with some Kappas and then became close with her new member class and older chapter sisters. From what we can tell, she was only in the chapter for a year because in 1921, the University of Toronto yearbook, she's listed as a sister in the city along with other alumni members. Wow, just a year. That makes her story even more incredible and really highlights the bond she had with her Kappa sisters. It really does. And in addition to her listing in the 1921 yearbook, she also appears on the 1921 Canada census as a lodger. So it's very likely she paused her education, we can only assume due to health and finances. So do you want to pick it up from here? I'm happy to do so. We don't find much about Rose for the next year. But in 1922, Beta Psi sent a letter to the convention requesting assistance for an unwell sister who has no means to support herself. It is moved and seconded that each visitor give $1 or more to a fund to aid our Canadian sister, the motion carrying. They work quickly. The Fraternity Finance Committee recommended the creation of an endowment fund with two departments, the first to support a central office and the second designated as the Rose McGill Fund to be used to 
help members of the fraternity in times of particular financial stress. Beginning in that October, Rose is under the care of doctors at the Muskoka Cottage Sanatorium, the first tuberculosis hospital in Canada. And the very first statement we found from the Rose McGill Fund is from July 1922 to July 1923. And that year, members donated $601.33 and $200.10 was spent on the support of Rose. The enthusiasm and support was overwhelming, and it didn't stop with money. In 1924, as Beta Side Chapter was preparing to host convention at the Big Win Inn in the Lake of Bays in Ontario, they also suggested that members consider a visit to Muskoka to see Rose, which is kind of funny thinking of our thousand-person convention these days, everyone getting on a bus to visit one person. It might have overwhelmed the system, but they were much smaller then. There's some indication that folks did make that trip and that Rose received regular visitors from Kappa's for the duration of her life. One treasure we have in the archives that was sent by Beta Psi Chapter is a handwritten letter from Rose in 1927, thanking the chapter for the lovely gifts and letters sent to her during the previous holiday season in 1926. I love that letter. Even more today, since our Rose McGill holiday sharing program, is a favorite program of alumni associations and chapters as they work to make the holidays a bit brighter for the recipients of our emergency aid fund. I love it too. And following that money trail, other trivia buffs like me might be interested to know that the Rose McGill Fund began paying Rose's weekly fees at the Muskoka Cottage Sanatorium and $28.90 was the average cost per week. At the end of Rose's life, just five years later, the average cost was $35 per week. You know, I love those details, too. And I see you did give me a sad part of the story as well. I know. I'm sorry. Sadly, Rose passed away on August 13, 1927, from pulmonary tuberculosis, and her sister, Madeline, is listed as the reporting relative on the death certificate. Dealt a tougher hand than most, I find great comfort in knowing that Rose was still able to find great reward in our sisterhood. When she died, the news was sadly shared throughout the fraternity. Rose's obituary ran in the October issue of The Key, which is a marvel since they only had a month to get it prepared before going to print. It was beautifully written and had this sentiment. The gratitude of Rose herself has been ably expressed by one of her best Kappa friends. Had it not been for the help both in thoughts and in such a practical way that Kappa sent to Rose, I know that long months ago she would have ceased to fight. She told me one day it was because so many campus believed in her and loved her that she felt putting up the best fight possible that she could show her appreciation. That was her inspiration to the very last. Wow. When Rose passed, it seemed that the entire fraternity knew her and likely thought of her as a close sister. 
But with time, memories and experiences can fade. And the 1932 history book had a more brief mention. That book describes Rose in this way. She was a frail wisp of sunny youth, courageous though racked with pain, smiling always, even in the face of discouragement. Rose fought with determination to regain the health that the doctors had long since despaired of. Just two years later in 1934, the December issue of The Key ran a biography about Rose with the explanation that now that the namesake of our beloved fund had been gone seven years and initiated nearly 15 years ago, there was a real fear that our members would no longer even know who it is they're supporting through the Rose McGill Fund. Because of the confidential nature of the assistance fund, every CAFA in need became Rose. And at the heart of every human interest story is a human. So just as they hoped in 1934 that people might remember the fighting spirit of Rose McGill in 2021, we still want people to know there's more than just a name to this program. I keep saying this, but wow. What that we all live a life like Rose and be remembered like we remember Rose. Isn't that the truth? Well, thank you for telling Rose's story with me. It's fitting that we remember her with this episode just as we approach the anniversary of her initiation on May 24th. Yes, it's important to always remind CAFAs of the assistance that's available through the CAFA Foundation. We may not all have the same struggles as Rose, but it's important to remember that our CAFA sisters will be there to support us no matter what. That's right. So if you or a Kappa you know could use some assistance, be sure to check out Kappa.org and read more about the Foundation's financial assistance programs. The Foundation awards scholarships, funds educational programs, and helps preserve our heritage. And through the funds that started as the Rose McGill Fund, for alumni and undergraduates, we have confidential aid and emergency assistance, medical emergency assistance, disaster relief, and continuing education grants for CAPAs who are returning to school part-time to complete their education or to advance their skills. I hope Rose and the CAPA sisters who supported her for so long would be proud to know that we're still talking about their efforts. And I hope they know that we've continued the tradition nearly 100 years later. It's just amazing. It really is. All right, listeners, if you have a question you'd like us to answer or a CAFA topic you're curious about, let us know in an email to archives at kkg.org. Until next time. Bye. You've been listening to Historically Speaking, brought to you by Kappa Kappa Gamma, with generous support from the Kappa Kappa Gamma Foundation. Our headquarters is in Columbus, Ohio. Our house museum, the Stewart House, is in Monmouth, Illinois. You can find us online at kappa.org, or you can peruse our digital archives at kappa.historyit.com. Initial research was done by former fraternity president and former fraternity historian Kay Smith Larson from Beta Pi Chapter at the University of Washington. And production is done by me, Kylie Tower Smith from Omicron Deuteron Chapter at Simpson College and the Archivist and Museum Director for Kappa Kappa Gamma. Thank you.